Welcome to the Fuji Love Podcast. Today's guest is a former BBC lighting director, a highly successful wedding photographer, internationally renowned portrait photographer, a teacher, and most importantly, a great guy and a good friend. Sir Lovegrove, how are you today? <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm fine today. Thank you. It's a bit early in the morning and uh, uh, I've got myself a nice cup of coffee. And uh, yeah, thank you very much for that wonderful introduction. Well, coffee is the way to go, especially early in the morning. Let us know who is Damien Lovegrove. Well, I'm I'm uh, I've come from sort of as you mentioned a BBC background as a cameraman when I was 19, and my mother was a, an artist, and my, my father an architect, and uh, I just sort of stumbled into television, um, and I spent 14 years there working. Uh, as a as a cameraman, then a lighting cameraman, etc. Um, but I, I got made redundant, uh, as a lot of people did during one of the recessions and uh, uh, back in the uh, sort of nineties. And I, I I decided to jump ship and and um, move into news. Uh, and then I realised that news had no room for art, and so. I became a commercial photographer. I thought, I've got, you know, I've been taking pictures all my life. I've, I've been taking pictures since 1984, uh, shooting for stock libraries. And so why don't I just do that as a living? So, uh, but I, I found it very difficult as a commercial photographer to, to, to earn the money. I mean, I was, I was doing the work, uh, but just getting the money in, you know, having to chase companies for payments three months after you've done the job is, is not, it's not fun when you've had to buy a lot of film and processing and Polaroids and all the other things that were back in the days. So, um, I realized that actually I, I, there weren't many pats on the back and hugs from the commercial industry. So I realized that I needed to be that sort of reward-based uh, photographer. So um, I took a, a, a training course and, and ended up as a wedding photographer because I needed to learn how to work uh, in retail, uh, how to develop a product line, how to put that product line out onto market, uh, how to attract the right clients from around the world and how to be very successful. And that was the, that was the challenge. And I thought, well, I don't have those skills in-house, so let me learn those. And I went off and did a one-year training course and uh, became a, a wedding photographer and uh, had a most successful career, travelled the world, wonderful clients. And uh, after 10 years with no summer holidays and working every weekend, I decided it was time for family time. So I wrapped up the wedding photography, wrote the book um, and started teaching. Who was that one guy that is responsible for teaching your workshop that made you the wedding photographer? Um, it was uh, a lady, actually. Um, and that's uh, not, no, no, no. It's, it's, it's one of those things. We live in a very um, uh, male dominated industry, especially on the, the, the trainers' uh, side of things. But um, Annabelle Williams um, and uh, Catherine Connor and Jane Brakel were three, three women who were influential in my life uh, at that time, back in the around the year 2000 and uh, uh, they ran a, a, a program called contemporary photographic training and uh, yeah you know I, I i thought i was in the service industry you know put a name above your door and 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 be the photographer for your town you know doing the weddings uh, portraits passports what have you but i didn't realize actually retail is 
I didn't know what retail was. I didn't understand about the packaging and the and the customer experience and that whole journey that people go on that triggers the things, the type of product that triggers a purchase decision, etc. So I had to learn all that, and I'm very glad that I did because um, you know I managed to have a most successful career, and in ten years. Um, you know, paid off the mortgage and uh, I got myself into a really, you know, more of a comfortable position, having struggled a few years before. Now, as we as we already talk about this, I think today uh, a lot of photographers make great pictures, but then they kind of forget the business side of things. You built uh, uh, quite a team around yourself that helped you actually uh, sustain the business and, and move ahead. Who, who is working with you? Yeah, I mean, the team is... Uh, um, It changes as the needs change. Although um, uh, Laura and Blaze, who are my PAs, they've been with me now for 10 years. But uh, um, when I started as a wedding photographer, I had uh, Marco, my picture editor, um, and uh, we had uh, his wife, who, who was my PA, and Julie, Julie, my wife, does the accounts, um, and also as a photographer. So the, the, the four of us is like a core. Um, prior to that, I had a darkroom assistant who I trained up to do all the uh, processing and printing. Because we, pr when we were on film, we hand printed everything. Uh, every single print was handmade, um, and all our films were processed in in, in house. But um, so now we have Blaze and Laura, who, as I say, who are my PAs. They job share, uh, and they sort of run my diary. They deal with uh, some of the retail aspects because we we sell a few um, lighting products. Uh, etc and uh, they also organize my workshops and they you know they book the hotels and the hire cars and the flights etc um, which is really handy um, and I have Julie uh, who's my uh, wife and also uh, a photographer she's she goes off to Africa and she runs workshops out in Africa um, a lot and she's doing you know a fair bit of travel but she does the accounts and is the accounts director um, and so that's our sort of core team. And then we have Luke, who's, um, who comes in and he's a consultant now um, for us, um, uh, doing our website design and graphics and uh, book layouts, etc. So um, we, we sort of, um, he was with us full time um, and he's got his own uh, personal projects that he wants to develop. So um, we get him back um, on a sort of as needed basis. So that's our team. It's got a small team uh, but we do have quite a big influence and uh, I think each person in the team has the opportunity to to do what they do best and um, it frees me up as a photographer so I can get out there and either create uh, photographic content or write about it um, I, I love to write as well so um, I've got a few you know books in in the pipeline and a, a few other projects as well so there we go We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, what I was wondering is if, if Damien 2019 would start all over again, like you by yourself with a camera, uh, what approach would you take to build the same kind of successful business that you've already built now over the last 20 years? Um, I'd have to be uh, younger than I am now. So let's assume that, um, that you know I'm a sort of 30-year-old uh funky uh <laughs> sort of in tune with society uh, i would definitely go down the retail road i would definitely be, be a wedding photographer but i wouldn't um and, and but i'd have a unique product uh, as i did you know but i i think this time around i'd shoot everything in 16 by 9 horizontal so every shot at the wedding looked like a 
a frame from a film movie. Um, I'd shoot everything in color uh, and I wouldn't do any fancy sort of looks on it. It would just be pure color. You know, I think a lot of people, they, they start building their own products. They don't, they don't have the long term in mind. And I've seen wedding albums with sort of vintage looks and pictures taken on angles with, I think, what people call the Dutch tilt or something. Um, and some pictures in black and white, some pictures in colour, all in the same body of work. And do you know what? It doesn't work. Uh, and they, they age so quickly. So I'd avoid all of that. A pure, clean photographs printed on archival paper under bevel mounts in uh, acid-free albums and have a really high-quality product and put it out there um, at you know sort of $10,000 a wedding um, that's that's the you know so you're in the same sort of retail market as um, Vera Wang Jimmy Choo Chanel you know that sort of that end of the market and that's where I'd be right you know if I was to start again now well one very important lesson I have learned and I'm not as long into photography as you are not even a small part of it but very early on, I learned that uh, it's rather that your style that you sell than it is actually the technical delivery. How do you see today young photographers? Would you rather advise them to develop their style in that case or some unique creative uh, kind of look instead of going full on for self-promotion? There's three elements you need to have in, in, in place. You, you need to have um, a good uh, product and production capability. Um, marketing and sales and you need to have finance in place so there's a if you imagine a a, a chair with three legs um, each leg has to be of equal length and, and those are the legs you know the, the, the finance the the marketing and sales and the product and production capability now for our product the, the, the product has to be absolutely top-notch or it has to certainly work for the market that you are targeting so it has to be if you're targeting a, a high-end market the product has to be high-end uh, and that is in terms of the design the feel the smell the way the way it handles the longevity of it you know the investment aspect um, so that's one element uh, the production capability for us was uh, it took us about two weeks to do a wedding from the in, to include the time taken for the initial meeting with the client um the the, the traveling for the, the day before to the wedding the, the the shoot itself and then traveling back and then the post-production selecting the pictures editing the pictures doing a client viewing at our studio uh, and then designing the album and then gluing and sticking the album you know putting the whole thing together and delivery it was about two weeks so that kept us down to 20 20 uh sorry there's about 40 weddings a year you know we, we, where we started and we find it was too tight so we ended up cutting down to about 25 weddings a year 20 weddings a year and that was our maximum capability when we were working at the top end and so you, you've got to make a living then in that basis and so, so you've got to make sure the price point is right you know if we were shooting 80 weddings a year then um, we'd have to be able to do the work in about two to three days for, per wedding so um, you know so you've got to get those elements right but the 
the product itself uh, is far more important, perhaps, than the content. It's a bit like perfume. You know, if you look at the way that uh, the bottle looks, the packaging, the pictures, the photographs that are used alongside the pictures, you know, you assume that the contents is going to smell nice. But uh, often the way that a brand succeeds is in all the other aspects of it, you know, the, the way something looks necessarily. Um, and, you know, there's plenty of perfumes in a perfume shop that will catch someone's attention and etc. So... Um, it's one of those things. And then the photo- photography, you have to be unique. As I mentioned earlier, probably I'd shoot everything 16 by 9. I'd shoot everything at f1.4. Um, I'd shoot with a, a maybe a 16 millimeter lens and uh, a 90 millimeter lens and perhaps try and shoot everything with those. Maybe drop a, 30, uh, a 23 million if I was on, X, you know, on the X series. So you get an idea of the 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 sort of feel but i'd probably avoid the standard lens uh, and shoot wide or tight um, and but sort of miss out the middle bit um, and just get that feel running through the album so everything has a consistent look Uh, because unless you can stand out unless when someone looks at your product they go wow um, and they see something unique um, you can't then put a price on it you know it's down then once you're producing the same sort of stuff as everyone else is producing everything balanced and the rule of thirds and a strong baseline etc once you, you you tie yourself down to the rules that everyone else uses you you can't distinguish yourself on on product design you have to then compete on price and i think that's where the wedding industry went wrong about um, six seven years ago um, suddenly everybody's competing on price putting pictures on disc and uh, of course there's no value in that you know some you know, people might charge a thousand bucks thousand dollars for a wedding uh, but might include 500 pictures um, so each picture is worth two dollars you know that's just you can't run a life and a plan you know build your life build, save money for your pension um, and have a, a, and enjoy yourself when you're working on economics like that so if you if you go forward with kind of a vision or if you if your goal is to first develop a, a vision and a product a unique style um failure and risk will always be your companions have you have you met them before i got trained um i realized that um the uh, at that point you know i'd got down to about um, 40,000 pounds overdraft or something and i realized that i wasn't earning enough to sustain you know i had a young child um uh, the mortgage etc the income wasn't right so it wasn't enough and so I, I had to either go back to the bbc um you know i had, did have my uh, my job in news available to me if it should only have needed to have done that um but um, so I had that option, but uh, I didn't want to do that. And that's when I got trained. So I, I spent a bit of money on training and then I pulled myself out of that. But once you know where your weaknesses lie, um, for instance, if you've got the product right and you've got the production capability and you're there and you've got and you've got an empty diary, of course, an empty diary is an is a fantastic opportunity because any inquiry that comes in, you'll be able to meet. You know, the problem is when you've got your diary is nearly full. And so the majority of uh, inquiries that are coming in are for days that you're already booked. <laughs> so, uh, the, you know, these are the things. But yes, of course, those are the challenges. But I think if you know that, hold on a minute, we need to sort out the finance here, um, and you sit down and have a meeting and you plan things through, you can pull through most of those. Now, the risks that you mentioned um what are the i mean the risks are there in everyday life and they crossing the road you know but i think the business risks are really not having the having your eyes open not looking 
to the future, not seeing over the wall what's happening, what, what are the trends, um, and knowing when to get out of one particular aspect of business when, you know, when it's not working for you, um, and how, you know, getting getting an early enough vision of when to make changes because i've made i've had five or six careers all of them associated with with taking pictures and they've all came come to a a conclusion um but i've been very quick to move on i think that's the important thing um because you don't want to become a kodak and uh you know uh, and end up you know uh, with your best days behind you well, have there been times when you when you completely lost faith in yourself, and and if so, how how did you recover from this? The reason I'm asking is because I know a lot of friends who struggle with their photography or their photography business, and you obviously must have recovered a few times from this, as you are still going strong and not planning to stop. So, how how do you deal with uh, not knowing how to go on? I think um, that the important thing is is to separate the personal from the the trends. So, for instance, if if you're, uh, you know, if I was a magazine editor and my magazine just wasn't selling, it was you know, the the, the whole I, I, you know, I used to have hundred thousand issues a, uh, a month sell, and now I'm on. 5,000 issues and I can't survive. You've got to look at the trends in the whole industry. It's not your magazine. It's not the way you're writing. It's not the way you're laying it out. It's just printed magazines are on the way out. You know, it's a time to jump. Um, And I think that's been the case. The same with weddings. You know, when people started asking me for pictures on disc and, oh, I don't want an album, I'm thinking, do you know what? That's not for me. So it's time to move on. Um, there are, of course, the top weddings, you know, that take, that take place in these five-star hotels for, um, with fantastic uh, food and wonderful things. There are no, you know, top budget weddings still out there. But I just found myself in a situation there. I was in my sort of mid to late 40s, just not as funky and as... Um, uh, you know, as, as useful as as my competitors in that marketplace. I think, oh, if I had to, you know, if I could book her or book me, who would I choose? I'd book her. Um, and so you have to realize when these things happen, and and then it's when you start moving on. But of course, you've always got something to offer. I mean, I decided that my, well, with the help of a business manager, uh, we decided that the best thing for me to do would was to um, give the knowledge and experience that I have built up in those in that in that career as a wedding photographer over to the next generation of photographers so we started by i wrote a book um which became a bit of a bestseller on amazon um and uh we then you know i then started running workshops teaching people how to how to shoot weddings and after the hundredth workshop i realized it's not how to shoot weddings that people know it's need to know it's how to use light i'm i'm continually shocked at how poor um, the use of light is, you know, at, at the professional level, perhaps less so at the amateur level. Um, I know it sounds surprising, but when I look through a, um, a mainstream magazine or if I walk through an airport looking at the photographs, I often see uh, photographs of models that have been lit from the wrong side. So the, the face has a, a lack of symmetry in the visual design uh, because the, the, the light has been 
uh, put onto the larger side of the face rather than the smaller side of the face or something you know really core basic errors um and it's it shocks me so i thought you know there's a definite market in teaching light and how to make someone look fabulous and so that's what i've been doing how much do you take with you from film lighting into the work you do today is that like a big influence um not necessarily i mean it, it's nice to say hey i was at the bbc but actually um what i learned when i was there was uh, i learned first of all how to make people look fabulous that's what everybody does that when you're at the bbc part of the your basic training um to learn how to recognize someone's good side you know their best side to be shot from the best side to be lit from um etc so a very visual thing um and as a cameraman you you you, you train um with perspective and etc so you, you know not everybody looks best on a long lens sometimes it can be very flattening and and uh just just does not you don't get the intimacy you don't get the connection and so we we were we were taught a lot of uh, the, the the core elements which i don't see being taught in photography um but in tv camera work and in a film cameraman they all go through that process of education then um, I suppose the lighting in the studio was important because when you're in a studio, a studio is literally a black box. There is, you know, with all the doors shut, um, and of course there are no windows, then there is no light in the room. And so every piece of light in a TV studio or on a film set is there under your control. And I think that was the most important aspect of being able to control the depth of shadows, control the um, contrast and get everything right in camera. Because that's what we had to do. I mean, that's what they do in TV and film. You get it right in camera. Um, that's that's the, always the way. And uh, so that was useful for me because I, I I took control of light. And when I was at a wedding, rather than relying on high ISO, I'd light a scene. You know, I'd just get a light out, you know, an Ari or something like that, out the boot of the car, pop an Ari up in a bedroom, and I can create a film set. Uh, and that was the part of the differentiation. When people were looking at our wedding albums, I think, wow, I love that. Um, and it had a certain vibe and a look. And I think that's important. I think people should, you know, not just know how to use good light, but actually do it. I think it's a lot of laziness out there. People, you know, they've got the lights, but they just don't take them out. Oh, I don't think I have time for that. Um, but actually, you do, you know. As modern photographers today, we have many choices on how to light our pictures and subjects. What are your reflections on continuous lighting versus using flash these days? Um, flash is, um, has its purpose, and so does continuous light. I mean, the one, it's a bit like, do I use a fast, do I use F1.4 or do I use F22? If you're doing a, a, a seascape and you want the rocks in the foreground and you want the slow movement on the water, then F22. If you're shooting a portrait, you want... Um, you know f1.4 or what have you so you know it's the same with lights if you're gonna if you're out in full sun and you're in a desert and you want to shoot into the light um, and you want to put some put some energy back in to the front of the picture then you need flash um, because no continuous light and is going to deal with that unless you've got a budget uh, we can't use reflectors because as soon as you reflect sunlight back into people's faces uh, they squint you know it's not, not it's just not going to work so flash is the way to go um, and if you 
you're uh, in a low light environment, uh, either in a in a studio and you want a shallow depth of field, or if you're on location and you're you're in, in a hotel or a restaurant or something, and you're, you're photographing an intimate dinner or something like that, you just use a continuous light to to simulate the light from candles, etc. Uh, because uh, obviously that's you you can't get the flash low enough in power, um, and uh, continuous light, you know what you see is what you get. It's much easier to use continuous light, but uh, there are times when you need both. Well, there's another aspect uh, that I that I actually learned from you and I took away from conversations we had that I recognized in my own photography um, later on after we had uh, these talks. There's something about the viewpoint in also your pictures or a certain logic that you adapt that has a lot to do from which angle the camera is actually looking at the subject that comes from classic movie work. Yeah, I think um, there are several things that we could learn from the movies. Uh, and one of those is to shoot from a low angle viewpoint. Um, if you look at the way that any TV show is shot, news uh, production, um, the, the you'll find that the, the, the height of the lens um, is below the level of the eyes of the person you're, you're filming. So we normally traditionally would put the, the camera at sort of the, the height of, let's say, uh, a shirt pocket, something like that, um, and below the eye line and looking. So you look up to the face and down to the, the torso. So all your verticals stay upright, but the, the person you are photographing, there is a, um, they're quite powerful. They're empowered. They're like statuesque, um, and that's the, the way. That's the industry norm. You know, the whole of the the movie industry works that way. So you shoot from shoot from lower angle, um, waist height um, up to sort of church. Uh, shirt uh, pocket height, as I mentioned, um, is quite the norm for pretty much everything. So if you interviews, etc. If you shoot from above, um, from a high level, um, so if you tend to look through the, if you, uh, as a stills photographer, you like to look through the little hole, um, the, the, the viewfinder, then you then you and you're a tall person, you will find that you're looking down on people a lot, and looking down on people actually changes the the mood of the image quite significantly because it makes them look less uh, powerful, more insignificant, more vulnerable. Um, it's not a, a flattering way of looking at people and their head becomes big and their body becomes small. You know, there's a there's a level of distortion by having the, the back of the camera slightly tilted down. And it's that distortion which, uh, you know, the, the industry of film and TV doesn't like. And it's that's what I've carried through um, in my my photo for my photography. So I'm I'm as soon as L C D tilting L C D screens came out, I was there all over it. So I shoot with a camera in my waist and I look down and it's just like I used to with waist level finders. That's why you know a lot of the great portraits um of the last uh, last century would you know just look so fabulous because they uh, they were shot with a waist level finder it's a completely different feel you know if you're photographing people you know don't use the viewfinder if you're tall or get on your knees you know one or the other I see a lot of pictures where I actually believe people just lift up the camera to to their eye and then start shooting so all the pictures have the same kind of perspective now when we've been in New York, uh, we talked about this uh, not shooting with the viewfinder, and you actually don't look at the camera at all when you shoot somebody. Yeah, I don't see the the need to look in the hole. I mean, obviously that you, you, it relies that type of technique relies on using a tripod. You know, so you put the, tri the uh, 
uh, you work out where the, the shot needs to be from, get the angle absolutely spot on, hold the camera in that position, then look down at the, the ground, look at how high the camera is off the ground, you know, measure it against your oh, fourth shirt button down or something, you know, um, and where it is, oh, what what base, and I, I kick a leaf into the space directly under the camera or something like that, and uh, then I rig my tripod, pop the camera on there, get it at the right height, everything's set, um, and it's the easiest way of working. Then once I get my composition set, the, the, the lead-in lines, the verticals, get everything beautifully clean and think, right, that's my shot. Now let's work with the subject. So then that's I get my model or the person I'm photographing um, into the scene and I'm working with them and creating an energy, a connection with them, having fun, what have you. And I'm just completely pressing the button on the camera. I don't need to look through the camera. I know that the camera is pointed in the right direction. It's locked off on a tripod. So all I need to be doing is pressing the button. Um, and that's the great thing. You know, obviously I need to have moved the focus point into the right place um, and then away I go sometimes if if I'm photographing someone then they're lying on a sofa or on a, sitting on a chair or sitting on a wall I'll switch it once I've got the focus I'll switch it through to manual focus so that it's faster the reaction of the camera to the moment um, and that's quite useful occasionally I'll use the um, app on the remote control so so if I take take control of the camera on the app I can then uh, stand right round to the side and I'm photographing a profile of someone I can engage with them have a conversation have laughs and have fun and just be taking the pictures when at the moments I want to capture the pictures without actually looking through the camera knowing that the fun and the energy that I'm creating is what's being captured uh, and that way you've still got the connectivity and you've got the photographer within the shot, which is how I like to work. I know a lot of people like to take the photographer out of the picture. You know, they like to, you know, certainly street photographers like often like to do that. But I like to have the photographer in the picture. So actually the picture is, is a connection between you and the model and it's not between the camera and the model. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. I mean, if you need to have eye contact to the camera, then you've got to make it particularly strong. And it's up to me as a photographer to connect with that person that I'm photographing, get the look, the feel, the engage them with that intimacy, um, and then pull that into the lens. So if my head is you know, way above the lens position, then I've got to bring that down. And I use a gesticulation with my hands. I've got to take that gaze, that energy down into the lens. Um, and it's uh, it's like conducting an orchestra. You know, you, you as a photographer, when you've got the rhythm and you've got the feel uh, and you've got a connection, a really good connection, and you've got the trust of the person, that you're photographing, you can direct them with, with you know, in, in the same way a, a good conductor can direct an orchestra. So we're going kind of full circle. We talked about uh, movie lightning versus flash lightning, and now we're talking about the photographer being a director. And that's actually also how I see a photographer's role in, in these kind of settings. Would you agree? Absolutely. I mean, I'm, uh, uh, I, I, I'm a control freak, really. I mean, I like to have the, I, I direct the lighting, I direct the, uh, the styling, the clothes that the person's wearing. I often go out and I'll be buying the clothes to, for the shoot. Um, the makeup, I'll direct, always direct the makeup 
because I'm going to get a feel and a look that I need. And sometimes there's no makeup at all. I mean, I'm, you know, I, I do quite like natural beauty. I'm not a someone who edits my pictures, um, so I don't. And I, you know, I spend maximum of sixty seconds a picture in post production. So it's important for me to get it right in camera. Um, I, I'll choose the aperture, choose the lens, choose the lighting, choose the background, choose the location, and locations are really important to me. I love to. They give me a feel. So in the same way that on movies we used to have a location scout uh, when you're shooting a movie and that, that location scout would have all the little places that you're going to shoot and everything would be prepared. So when you're at the, when the crew arrived on location, everything was in place and ready to shoot. And it, and it always looked fantastic. And, and that's what I like to do. So um, on Tuesday I'm off um, to Portugal. Um, I'm going to some old forts along the portuguese spanish border um and because there's some superb urbex locations there and i'm gonna go check them out um because i think they'll be perfect for a, a set of portraits let me let me by the way let me quote you speaking of big teams and and a lot of people showing up on set uh you said you can get 99 of the results with five percent of the budget walk us through what this means for you okay so um if but, 5% of the budget, really, initially that means 5% of the people. So what happens is I, I, I do the location scouting. So I'm, I'm looking at Google Earth. Uh, I zoom right into the point where you can see vehicles comfortably. Um, and I'm, I'm scooting around a country like Portugal. Uh, I open a bottle of wine and over about a period of about four hours, I can cover a whole area, you know, southern quarter or something like that, southwest quarter. Uh, and I, I'm looking for abandoned buildings. I'm looking for places of interest. I'm looking for uh, dried up riverbeds. I'm looking for textures. Um, and then, so that's my location scouting. Then I, then I get on a plane and get out there and have a little look around. And I, that's like a little mini holiday for me. So that's where the sort of bit of the, the cost comes in. Um, but then, of course, I, um, I when I do a workshop there, then I can recover some of uh, my my location costs but the thing is i'll direct the model so i'll be the movie director i'll be the lighting director uh, i'll have uh, i'll do the um the styling so i'll be the clothes the wardrobe assistant i'll be um the makeup the, the model will often do her own makeup in the way i shoot and i don't i'm not one of these photographers that has uh, you know, a lot of people around me and so by by doing everything myself, um, I'm getting rid of a, the majority of the budget, uh, and it doesn't need to be any less powerful a picture because without all these people hanging on, I can be taking the most intimate pictures of someone, and the the, the depth and connection is so much better than if I had a makeup artist and a stylist and a brand manager and all these other people on set all wanting to have chip in their word you know um by being just myself and the person that i'm shooting um it uh, adds adds something to the shoot rather than subtracts so uh, um that's that's my 95 sort of rule keep it simple do it yourself have a vision of what i'm trying to achieve then get out there and and, and create it How important is that you have a sort of an intimate psychological connection with the model on set? Um, it's not that important. Um, you know, you have to have a good rapport, but it doesn't have to necessarily be an intimate psychological rapport. It depends on the type of picture. Um, when I'm photographing a wedding, and I've done 400 of them, um, if I'm photographing the mother of the bride or 
the grandmother of the groom or child or the father of the groom. You know, each person I'm photographing, I start with that, that uh, rapport building process. It might just literally be just to pop over to the, 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 the father of the groom and, and just straighten his tie, just have a little bit of a chat, a very, very brief chat because you haven't got that much time at a wedding and just get, make him feel really important. Then I come back, I get the camera, and we have a bit of fun. I get the picture. You know, so there's this this whole structure um, can be very very fast. It's a bit like uh, it's a sales technique to some extent. You know, it's a technique that I learned when I was learning retail. Uh, you 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 learn all these things, uh, these little techniques, and uh, um, one of those is uh, an acronym called Soften, uh, and that is to smile. Um, I've got to try and remember it now, it's quite a few years ago, to have open body language, uh, to move forward towards someone, uh, to touch, that would be a shake of the hands, E for eye contact, uh, N for nod. And the little, you know, nod, just nodding, yes, you're doing the right thing, come on in, yeah. Um, so that little bit of rapport building goes in straight away. And it can, I, I, don't, I use that, with, as I say, with a, a four-year-old and I use it with a 94-year-old. Uh, and you have to get that. That's part of the photographer's art. It's their skill. Um, and when I've got a group of 80 or 100 people out on the lawn outside a wedding venue, and there I am up at the first floor window, open the window, and I'm looking out at them all. I can command their attention and get their energy, create a good buzz, get everyone happy, take the picture you know that, that sort of rapport building has to happen it doesn't always have to be intimate but when you're working with an actor and you want that actor to have a gravity the picture to have that gravity then of course you've got to pull that out from within the person and that takes intimacy speaking of uh, getting it right in camera and getting things out of a person let me uh, quote you again what is the three second rule it's one of those things that you know when you've got the picture. Um, and it's the same, and again, it comes back to my movie days, I suppose. Um, it, you know, a director will uh, look at the, the scene flow um, and then they'll say, cut, okay, get, you know, first positions, let's go ready to roll again. Um, and then he'll go over and give a little bit of a, a, uh, an idea or a tweak to the, to the performers, to the artists, um, and then say, okay, and action. And so then it'll run again. Um, and then, then he'll say, cut, that's great, print it, let's move on. You know, the director knows straight away when they've got the performance and they've got the look and the feel of what they want. And that's when I'm shooting. If I, if I, when I'm set up a picture and the picture happens and I'm thinking, yep, I've got it. Great. Let's move on. And the earlier you can move on, the, uh, the more pictures you'll end up taking. Uh, and you know, it's no point in thinking, Oh, I'll just do another one of those or let's do another because you'll, you'll start dropping off the cliff at the end and you'll end up having you know, far less, uh, content uh, than than you need really, um, and that, I suppose that comes from being a wedding photographer. When you set a shot up and you 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 get it, as soon as you get it, you're onto something else. And if I can get two hundred finished um, pictures in a wedding album, all shot within a twelve hour period, fantastic. That's how to that's how to make money. <laughs> If you shoot and then you go edit, uh, I notice a lot of people struggle with the fact to to eliminate certain pictures, making the whole thing stronger by saying no. What's your take on that? Well, the, the thing is, um, first of all, they shot too many. 
um, and they haven't necessarily. If you can't, if you've got two pictures, let's say, um, and one of them, let, uh, the you know, just let's take a picture of two people. So in one picture you've got the bride looking good, another picture you've got the groom looking good. Um, you haven't actually got the picture. You know, so no matter, you can um and ah about it or kind of swap heads and I do this, but you haven't got the picture. And it, it, you need to know it's just as hard when you haven't got the shot as it is when you have got the shot. You know, sometimes when you've got the picture, uh, you might uh, in first take. And if you then take another shot, I better just better be safe. I'll, I'll take another picture and then take another picture. Then in post-production, you get to the point where you've got three pictures. They're all perfectly acceptable, but then you're wondering which one is best. That is, that's not the way to work. Uh, because if it's not, you know, if you've got too many pictures to choose from, it's going to take you longer to choose. And then you'll be asking opinion of someone else, which do you think is the best? Which do you think is the best? And so this is important to understand that the really the, the three second rule is when you're looking at the back of the camera, press the button, have I got the shot? Scroll through the pictures. And uh, if a picture doesn't grab you within three seconds, you haven't got the shot yet. That's the important thing. Um, so, uh, you know, then don't just take another picture, the same as the one before. Work out what it is that's not you're not happy with and adjust it. Create a bit of change of energy. Mix it up a little bit. Get the person you're photographing to to turn around away from camera and then come back round to camera. And it starts with a new energy, a vibe, and don't let that energy slip. Um, sometimes things like that are important because a smile that's held just for a 15th of a second too long, it shows in the picture. You know, it's it becomes a, a grin and it's just hasn't got that connection, that intimacy, the timing's not right. And I think it's important to recognize that really early on and say, hey, I haven't quite got a shot yet. Let's let's take another one. So sometimes things are as simple as they really are. I mean, you just trust your gut feeling and you know it either works or it doesn't. Yeah, it's either, and that's how, I mean, when I was selecting pictures for photo library uh, for submission, you know, I'd come back and I'd have a roll of 36 trannies uh, if I, you know, when I was shooting some of the stuff I was doing, it was on 35 mil and some of it was on, on 120, but um, depending on where I was in the world and what I was doing, but, you know, you've got 36 and you've got, you've got a, what's the picture? You know, and you've got, a, you've got to pick maximum of four out of that and you're on a light box, you're looking around, the one that jumps out at you, that's the one, boom. Um, and it's the same process. You can't be, uh, you, if you're going to select pictures and you're going to work on one at a time and go through one at a time, and then the, the only way you can do it is from back to front. So you start with the last picture you took um, because there had to be a reason to take it, you know, and then you pick it. Um, and then you go back to the previous ones and and then the previous and then the previous. And, and you realize that the last picture is the one you, you need. You know, um, if, if, you're going from the end of the set and you're going back towards the front and the pictures are getting better, that means you've taken too many pictures. It means that if the quality of the image is dropping away, you've reached a peak earlier um, and you don't need those last images. And uh, that's when you know you're wasting time as a photographer. And time is valuable because that's time you could be using to take a, a different type of image or change the styling slightly or uh, shoot in another location. Um, and I, I like to work quickly because it gives me a feedback of energy. I love to achieve. Um, and the same when you see these chefs, these TV chefs, etc. they're working away. You're thinking, blimey, that was so quick. And it just produced a meal for two um, in 20 minutes. <laughs> but you think if you were, if it took all day to, to produce a meal, you wouldn't have the same energy. I think that's important for, for the way I work as well. 
I have to ask you a few gear questions because we always want to know how you make those amazing images. So what is your setup these days? What's in your bag? I, I, I mix stuff up in my life. Um, and that is that, that um, sometimes I'm on, a, when I was driving my car, I was on a little Fiat 500 for three years and then uh, now on a sort of bigger sports car. Um, and with cameras, it's fairly similar. So I've, I was uh, Fujifilm X-Series for about seven years, moving through from uh, X-Pro through to XT. Um, and then when GFX came along, I thought, fantastic. So when I went from the X series, everything at the X series, most things were handheld. I didn't use a tripod for seven years. Um, if I did need to, to shoot in low light, I used a monopod. And then when I got the GFX for the last two years, every picture I've taken has been on a tripod. Um, and that's, uh, so I changed, used the, the, the camera to drive a change in my shooting mode and and i suppose by working from a tripod i've got much more precision in my um my composition and the design of the picture but perhaps i've lost a little bit of the the natural sort of um the freedom and the 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 the, the, the carefree spirit perhaps that i had with the x series but you know I'll, I'll i'll switch back at some point so i'm using the gfx i've got the 32 is it a 3264 zoom, uh, which is the, it's absolutely fantastic. It's, uh, I mean, most people think, oh, primes are better optically, et cetera, et cetera. But actually the zoom is fantastic. And um, to be honest, I don't really get this whole business of, oh, it's got to be fast F1.4 sort of look. I It's an F4 lens. I shoot it at F4 for everything. Uh, and the pictures are beautiful. And the separation is there you know the background is just beautifully soft yet it still tells the story of where you are you know and so i've got that beautiful separation in my work uh, from that lens that lens renders everything just fantastically i don't, don't know how they do it um and then i've got the 110 you know so I've, I've shot everything for two years with two lenses and the 110 of course is is, is a f2 lens it's faster and so you can get that shallow depth of field in your portraits and if you go in for a close headshot you're looking at it's not a case of which eye do you focus on it's which eyelash do you focus on i mean the shallow the depth of field can be so shallow um so for people who like that shallow depth of field look the 110 is is certainly the way to go but i've been using those two lenses um I've bought other lenses for the GFX, but I haven't fallen in love with them. I've got the 63, the 45, and the 23. And when I'm over in Portugal, um, uh, on you know, I go out tomorrow, but uh, when, I, when I'm there later this week, I'm going to go and do some landscapes. And I'm going to take the 23 out, and I've got a, a neutral density filters and lens hoods and bits and bobs you know all the stuff that you take on the landscapes i'm going to do some there's some lovely places there which i want to shoot and uh there's a nice uh jetty that i want to go and photograph at, at sundown and uh, so sometimes it's important for me just to step away from my normal work you know photographing people and and, and start to explore other genres Looking forward, um, as you speak of uh, changing or adapting your style also with changing cameras, is it going to be a 50R? Is it going to be a super full frame 100 megapixels? Is it going to be the X-Pro 3 if it ever comes out? What's going to be your next toy? Um, I mean, the X-Pro 3 will come out, but it doesn't, and there's no rush, you know, there was like four years between X-Pro 1 and X-Pro 2, and that was fine. The X-Pro 1 is still a great camera. In fact, 
do you know what? I actually think the out of the all the X series cameras, I think I prefer the look of the pictures from the X Pro One to anything else I've owned. Uh, but anyway, you know, so there's no rush for these things. Now, uh, so I've got GFX 50S. The 50R doesn't suit me. Um, the 50R, you know, I it's I can't use the viewfinder on the 50R because I'm sort of left-eyed, um, which means that my nose is up against the LCD screen and uh, and it just just doesn't work really. Uh, but plus, I you know, if I when I do use the viewfinder, I use it tilting. Uh, because I have, you know, and I only use do that when I'm out in sunlight. So the 50s is by far the better camera for me. Um, also, it's got a grip. You know, the, the, the 50R you can't hold the thing when you put a long lens on it. I can't anyway. I mean, I'm sure other people love it, but uh, it doesn't. So the 50s is the 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 one that suits me. Um, the 100, uh, the, the, the megapixels don't matter to me. Um, but I'd love to have Ibis because, as I said before, that I've got I've been using a tripod for every single picture for two years. I'm sort of ready now to move back to a monopod for the for the low light stuff and then handheld for the um, for the for everything else. And, and to be quite honest, with medium format, uh, you've you you every slightest camera movement shows because of the resolution. The resolution is there. Once you get to 50 million pixels or above, then you've got to absolutely lock the camera down. And it always it's always been the same. You know, when I had a Hasselblad film camera, et cetera, always used to use a tripod, you know, uh, for, for everything I shot. Um, and if we wanted handheld and wander around, then it's always 35 mil. Uh, but so my next thing, I mean, if the 100 is the, the 100 camera, it looks... It looks big. It looks like a lump. I've never had a, a battery grip on a camera um, because oh, I don't see the point of having a battery grip. I can put the if I put the batteries, spare batteries in the camera bag, then I can put the bag on the ground and I'm not having to carry it. Um, so that when I'm shooting, I've got the lighter camera. But of course, as I've put everything on a tripod for the last few years, then it wouldn't have mattered anyway. But the whole thing about the 100 is it's got IBIS, so it's sort of designed to be handheld. But I think, I don't know whether I've got the shoulders to, to, to carry it. I mean, it looks huge. So um, I, I, I might go with the, uh, the, the GFX 100 uh, if it's the right decision for my business, et cetera, as and when it comes out. Or I might wait for the, the, the 50, you know, SI or whatever, uh, which would be a, a maybe a thin a thinner body, uh, more akin to the the 50R uh, with IBIS. You know that would suit me. 50 megapixels is is enough for what I want to do, uh, and the prints look fantastic. Um, so I don't need the, the 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 bigger the bigger sensor. You know the higher density pixels. But um, hey ho, you know who wants to see? We, we all have a bit of gas from time to time. So. Um, no, yeah, we'll we'll figure it out. Apparently, you're thinking about putting some things on your shopping list, and probably after doing a little bit of hands-on with new stuff, you you will figure out which one suits you best. Yeah, then I have a chat with someone, and they say, "Oh, do you know what? You know, we can trade in your 50s, and we'll give you a good price, and then it's only going to cost this to have the new camera." And I think, "Well, the 50s is already two years old, and I only ever plan to have three years use out of it, and to get a brand new camera, which then I can get three years. You know, you can." always justify these things can't you um uh, and uh I've, I've recently been putting things out on ebay um selling stock off and the, the bits and bobs and it's surprising how quickly the, mon the money mounts up um from 
the odd filter or uh, a lens hood for a contacts lens or, a, uh, you know, a kip-on mount here and something else there. And, and before you know where you are, you actually, well, actually, that's a budget for a decent, another decent lens or, you know, that's I could put that towards my next camera body. <laughs> so, so dust off your shelves and, and get new stuff if you feel like. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I can't justify having more than one camera at a time. Um so you know the, the older cameras some of the cameras like my x pro one and stuff which i really love uh, i i can't i don't sell those because they're really not worth much secondhand but they're worth a lot to me um so i keep my some of those things but um you know all my later cameras that i, I was running with uh, i've just sold all those on um i happen to have my backup system at the moment is a an xh1 um, it looks just like the 50s actually. Uh, sometimes I've got the XH1 on the tripod or something. And I think, oh really? Uh, oh, <laughs> I can't fit this lens on. Uh, but actually, you know, it's a good camera. Uh, but it's only I only really use it for video. Uh, that's what I bought it for, and and also as a little backup, which I can I can put in my uh, check-in case when I'm traveling. Um, and I've got I've got that with an 18 to 55. You know, a brilliant lens, the 18 to 55. Um, it's uh, image stabilized lens on a on the image stabilized camera uh, it's the whole system is just superb i could shoot everything i needed to on that on that that one camera and lens um, and then people say to me well why don't you uh, well actually because i really like the process of shooting medium format at the moment i like the the discipline of having to use a tripod for uh, to get the composition right and things to slow me down and when i slow down i'm more precise with my work and I, when i'm more precise with my work I, I find it more beautiful to print and it's just a nicer process for me at the moment if you could wish anything from fujifilm to be produced invented or brought to the market in the future what would it be if it's one thing Probably um, the backlit sensor, you know, the uh, version of the 50S, uh, but without the big block on the back. So a medium format camera um, with a sort of 50R size with uh, a 50 megapixel backside illuminated sensor, which perhaps isn't going to happen because it doesn't exist. So maybe I'll put the 100 in there. Um, um, and... Uh, yeah, just a really simple camera like that. The lenses are looking good. The lens lineup. Um, some people are saying, "Hey, we need a fast, you know, an eighty millimeter f one point seven or something." Yeah, great. Um, you know, that that would fit in there. But I, I, the one lens that I use a lot, which I love, which is this thirty two to sixty four. Um, it's the only lens you can use, uh, really, with the if you want to be able to cover lot of focal lengths because they just aren't the primes yet you know we don't the 32 end of that lens is that's it you know we, there isn't anything equivalent you've got nothing between 23 and 45 um in the primes and so we, we you know there, there's a massive hole in the prime lenses um so if if for instance fujifilm produced a a 32 or a 30 millimeter prime then they'd sell a 30 millimeter, a 45, and the 63 instead of people buying one zoom lens. You know, so it makes good sense for them to do that at some point um, because they can sell. You know, why sell one lens when you can sell three lenses? And people who shoot prime would would love to do that, but at the moment that is not an option. So zoom is in the bag. 
So Damien, as we close in on the end of this podcast, uh, what's happening in the Love Grove world in the next month or the next year that we should know about? The, the dust never settles in my life. Um, not at the moment anyway. It will do when I'm dead, of course. But uh, so I've got, well, what's happening? I've, I've just been uh, uh, spending time, I'm, I'm developing a new lighting modifier at the moment. Um, it's for hard light, it's for flash, uh, and it breaks up the light and, and it creates really Really beautiful light patterns um, and so that that's in development and that will come out within the next three months that will be out probably about two months time i'll start shipping the first units so um that's for speed lights and the cat uh, the godox 8200 so keep an eye out for that um workshops i've got i'm, I'm off to portugal um the thing is i've got this work this workshop in tuscany at the end of the year there's a workshop in uh france um there's a what I, there's, there's other ones that i'm doing and uh, they're all sold out. So uh, I've suddenly think, right, okay, I've got to get to grips with this and uh, put some new workshops on. That's why I'm heading over to Portugal. Because if I can find a lovely place down in southern Portugal to shoot, which is which I think I've got, I think I've got it. All I've got to do is confirm that. Um, uh, then I shall be putting a workshop on in Portugal as well. Because do you know, I love the southern Spain and Portugal. They have this, there's a warmth there's a richness to the light. There's a clarity in the light. You know, when I go to Southeast Asia um, or places like that, there's a humidity, um, which is quite high, which means that the sunlight is hazy. And I just don't get the deep, rich blacks and the contrast and the punch in the pictures. So that's why I prefer the Mediterranean countries, um, you know, the south of France, south of Spain, south of Italy, etc. Much more... Uh, the clarity of the light it works for me yeah. and so I've got perhaps I might look at Greece and uh, a few other places as well but uh, so yeah Love Grove Adventures is a new website we've just generated so lovegroveadventures.com and uh, so that's really it really it's a few workshops um, etc so um, I'm sure there's plenty of other things happening but uh, that's what my life is like at the moment. So, Damien, so great to have you as a guest on, on the Fujilove podcast. I'm sure we are going to have you back. Do you have any last words you want to share with the Fujilove community? I think the most important thing is to get out there and take pictures. I, I know it sounds a bit corny, but, you know, there's, I, there's an increasing demand on our time from things like uh, Facebook and uh youtube and other things and you could spend all your time learning about photography but not actually doing it so i would say you know cut out some of the things in life which are less important and get out there take pictures have fun and get the real buzz of uh you know when you press when i press a button i know that i get a real little pulse of energy and that energy drives me forward and gives me all the motivation uh, i need to enjoy my photography so um yeah Enjoy your photography. Damien, thank you so much for being a guest and have a great day. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm.